So the, the reading is Genesis 14, on page 14. And if you read ahead, I'm not sure how many champagne moments there'll be with some of these names, but uh, we'll get there anyway. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elisar, Kedaloma king of Elam, and Tadal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Beersha king of Gomorrah, Shenab king of Admar, Shemabur king of Zeboim, and the king of Belar, that is Zoah. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For twelve years they had been subject to Kedaloma, but in the thirteenth year they had rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedaloma and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtar Kanaim, the Susites in Ham, the Emites in Shavar Keriathayim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites, who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebaim, and the king of Belar, that is Zoah, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedaloma, king of Elam, Tadal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elazar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedaloma and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods for yourself. Keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, 
With raised hands, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol and Mamre. Let them have their share. Well done, Trevor. What a reading. Oh. <laughs> um, and if you're wondering why, why there are crowns up here, um, these weren't stolen, these were borrowed. I, I asked the burger people, so don't worry about that. I haven't eaten those burgers either, so we're all good. Um, let's pray, and then we'll have a little look at Genesis 14. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would bring clarity to a somewhat confusing passage. And Father, would you encourage us, lift us, and show us Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Amen. Um, now... I was born in a Dimitrio household, and things were lovely, like peaceful, calm. We, we, we had two dogs, Blake and Callie, and little fat cat Dodger. Ah, oh, so peaceful and tranquil, right? Until 2012, and the arrival of Bosby. Like, the boatay might, 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 might put you off, but, but this guy, this beast from the east turned up, a lovable man. He, he leapt over garden fences, causing havoc to our neighbor's flower beds. Uh, this guy terrorized the squirrels in North Finchley, uh, they were never the same since. And he had a vendetta against Dodger the cat. One occasion, he took a chunk out of Dodger's side, like, blood everywhere, it was, it was bad. But Dodger's still alive, don't worry, no RSPCA calls needed. Um, uh, but, 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 but Bosby turned up, and tranquility was gone. Um, and that's what Genesis 14 is a bit like in Genesis. Because uh, up till now, um, God's got, got his main man, Abraham, and he's given him some promises. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation, people. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you, give you a land of your own. You're going to have a place to call your, your own. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and bless you and bless you. Blessing. People, place and blessing to Abraham. And like last we saw, things were pretty decent. Like Abraham had found a little place to, to, to live, and, and like things were looking nice and calm. I mean, yeah, there were a few like clouds on the horizon with his nephew Lot, but 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 like on the whole, things were decent until like Busby showing up at Tannington Drive. Genesis 14 turns up because the theme of Genesis 14 is war. Is war, uh, and particularly it's a war between four kings led by Kedolema. Against five kings. That's what the crowns are doing. Four and five. Four v five. These warring kings. And so as we go through the passage, we're going to see three dangers that affect us all. Um, and I'll give you time to pause and reflect and think about how that affects you. Um, so look out for those as we go. But first, these warring kings. Have a look at Genesis 14 verse 1 with me. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar. See, here we get the first mention of the word king in the whole Bible, in the whole of history. The first king's mentioned. And have a little scan down the passage. Look how many times the word king shows up. Um, I'll say the example of counting. 28 times it shows up. 28 times the king is mentioned. We have Amraphel, Arioch, Tiddle, uh, Kedalema. We have uh, Shina. We have um, Bera, Bersha, the king of Bela. We have all the big names, literally. They're all there. Ten different kings. And they're all fighting for power. See, this is our first, our first danger to avoid, uh, power. Because these warring kings, uh, the, 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 the four kings are led by Kedalema, they are the self-declared rulers of the plain. They've claimed power for themselves. 
and they rule with a mighty iron fist. Have a look at verse 4. It says, for 12 years, they, that's these other five kings over here, have been subject to Kedaloma, but in the 13th year they rebelled. See, uh, these four kings uh, and their quest for power had led to crushing of others. Power, like, it affects each one of us too, doesn't it? Like, like it, it, it leaves us um, insecure, always trying to prove ourselves, prove how great we are. Uh, and we're always scared of little uprisings, people coming to, coming to attack our little kingdoms we've made for ourselves. See, power sours us. It sours relationships, friendships, sours church, sours work. Uh, it, it leaves us competitive, jealous, and afraid. So, so we're going to have a little pause and think about how, how power affects us with, with this question here. How does power tempt you into ungodliness? We'll have a little pause while you think about that. How does power tempt you into ungodliness? Tim Keller, he says, he says, power is often born in fear and gives birth to more fear. And he's right. Because that's what happens here. See, these four kings led by Kedaloma, um, they have all the power. And suddenly, in the 13th year, these five kings rebel. Because they want the power for themselves. And so the four kings, they mobilize their, 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 their mighty army and they roll on through the Transjordan, crushing all those rebels on their way, the Rephaphites, the Zuzites, the Hamites, and the rest of them, until they get to the Valley of Siddim. And we get... The four kings on one side. The five kings on the other side. And we get war. And see, this is the first war in history. Did you get that? This is the first war in history. I mean, look how far we've come now. Sin's defiled us so much. War's commonplace now. This is where it began. And like, next week, there's a film coming out called Avengers Infinity War. Like, um, um, it, it's, it's two and a half hours of pure superhero war footage. It's going to be amazing, can't wait. Um, but, but, but Hollywood, they love the big battle, don't they? Like, like, like this costs $348 million to make or something like that, ridiculous. Um, but, but Hollywood, they love the big, the big battles. They love the clashing armor, the rousing speeches, freedom, and all that stuff. They, they love the glint of uh, armor, the, the blood, the gore, they love it. And so, we'd expect the first war in the Bible to be treated with some, like, some, like, pizzazz, wouldn't we? But did you notice that the war starts, oh, and it's finished. <laughs> like, 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 there's no mention of what happens, it just starts and finishes. Because the point is, it is shockingly easy for the four kings led by Kedaloma to come and crush these five kings. Warring kings after their quest of lust uh, for power. But, but how does all this, um, these warring kings, how does that affect Abraham, our main man? We'll have a little look at verse 11 and verse 12. The four kings, they seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. See, last week we saw Abraham and, and, and Lot, um, they separated. They'd they gone separate ways. Like Abraham, um, he was living uh, up in the upper there in Cana on the balcony, if you can't see it, it's over there. And he was living up there, and Lot was living down here on the plains by the Jordan. And see, because of where Lot was living, Abraham's nephew, he was caught up in this war. And he was taken, captured, and was in peril. 
And why? Well, verse 12 tells us, since he was living in Sodom. And we might think, what? Um, but, 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 but Sodom is a bad place in the Bible. Right? If you see Sodom, it's kind of like that place on, on a map um, um, where, where there's like warning labels, uh, like stickers all over. It says, uh, do not enter. Enter at your peril. Here be dragons, skull and crossbones, all that stuff. It's a bad place. I mean, have a look at 13, verse 13, the chapter previous. It says this. The people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Like Sodom equals bad place. And Lot, he knows this. Abraham's nephew, he knows all of this. And yet, yet, in chapter 13, verse 10, he chooses Sodom. In 13, verse 12, he, he starts camping in Sodom, pitches a little tent and starts like, like, cooking s'mores and stuff in Sodom. Until in 14, verse 12, we get the full picture. He's now living in Sodom. See, this is our second danger to avoid, the uh, danger of the slippery slope. Because it's kind of like, like Lot dipped his toe in the water and then his foot. Then he went all in, waist down, and pretty soon he was completely submerged under that water. The danger of the slippery slope. Uh, and see, we do this too. We, we, we do this. Um, we, we dip our toe into things we know aren't good for us or we know are going to hurt us. Like, uh, like little flirtatious flings with sin or temptation. Things like um, a little text or, or to, to, a, to a girl or a guy who's not our spouse and thinking, oh, we're just friends, it's fine. Or um, late at night on our, on our own phone in front of us or computer there, no one else around us, thinking, oh, just check my emails. I, don't, I won't look at anything else, don't worry, just, just emails. Or at, at the pub and like one more beer, one more whiskey, that, that can't hurt, like, like, I can take it, look at me. Or a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend thinking, you know what, I'll be absolutely fine. This is just a bit of fun. It's harmless fun. See, the slippery slope, it often looks good for us. It looked good for Lot. And yet, it always leads to Sodom. So have a think for me. We're going to a little pause and think again. Have a think. Uh, how... Where are you flirting with sin in your life? So we'll have a little pause and think through that, and then we'll come back. See, wherever it is, run away from it. Run a mile, because it ends in Sodom. Look at Lot. Because he was living in Sodom, he became a Sodomite and became one of the people and got captured and taken away and is now in grave danger. So we've had four kings led by Kedaloma crushing the five kings and Abraham's nephew Lot being taken. And then out of this war, verse 13, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham the Hebrew. So, so, so in the midst of these warring kings, like there's a, there's a survivor who runs to the one who is not a king. Because 28 times the words king, king is mentioned and not once is it applied to Abraham. And you can picture this man, this survivor, sprinting. He runs, like, like, like panting, blood soaked into his eyebrow, like, like arrow sticking out his backside. And he's like, like, like running to Abraham. And he gets there to Abraham and, and his crew, to Ana, to Mamre and Eshcol. And they're standing there. 
And they hear the messenger. And they hear the messenger say, uh, uh, talk about these four mighty kings who are invincible. They, they hear the messenger talk about how the four kings crushed the five kings. And they hear the messenger say how the four kings have now captured Lot. They hear about this undisputed champion of the world, the boxer who has knocked out every opponent who's come near him. Now, if that was me, I'd run a mile. But Abraham, Abraham, in in verse 15, or verse 14, sorry, he he heard that his lot has relatively been taken captive, and he plots a rescue mission. Like, like, Like Abraham plans Operation Rescue Lot. That's incredible. He, 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 he knows. He knows the risks. And yet he risks it all to get his nephew back. He, he risks his life. He risks his people. risks his safety, his comfort, his possessions just to go and get Lot back. And like, I wonder, how far would you go to bring a brother or sister back? As in, if you saw a Christian brother or sister walking into sin or walking away from God, how far would you go to get him back? See, um, it's not loving to do nothing. And it may be difficult, maybe hard, may, may risk your friendship with that person, but go hound them down, drag them back. See, Jude 23 in the Bible says this, it says, save others by snatching them from the fire. That's what we do. I mean, if you saw kids playing football on a cliff, you, you wouldn't go, oh, that's so lovely, look at them, you scored a goal. No, you'd shout, you'd scream, you'd say, stop it. You'd go and drag them away from that cliff. Like, how far would you go to save a brother or sister from sin? See, Abraham goes all in. Verse 15. During the night, Abraham divides his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. The one who's not a king goes up against these four mighty kings, dead of night, stealth mission-style pincer movement. He crushes them, and he sends them up north, fleeing away, up the M1, gone. The one who is not a king crushes the four mighty kings. And did you notice how little detail there was? Again, to show just how easy it was for Abraham to wipe out those four kings. The one who is not a king defeats the four mighty kings. And that's not all. Look at verse 16. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Like Abraham wins the fight and then he rescues Lot. Yes, Abraham, go on, my son, you've done it. And, and like we're rejoicing, we're celebrating with Abraham. And then suddenly there's a massive like gear shift in the passage in verse 17. Because because suddenly Abraham's in a valley of the kings and he's meeting the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. And you're like, What? Like, like, what are you doing here? It's kind of like when someone puts basil, a herb, on a strawberry tart, a dessert. You're like, what are you doing here? Um, sorry. Um, yeah, we'll get rid of that. Um, but, 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 but like things in the Bible we look at and go, what are you doing there? They're actually really important. Um, and see what's going on here as, as, as the one who is not a king meets these other two kings is really important. Because... Here we see two different responses to Abraham. We get the king of Sodom. Remember, that's a bad place, dodgy place, don't go there. See, he's out for what he can get from Abraham. And he comes with an agenda. And the king of Salem, Melchizedek, he's out for what he can give to Abraham. 
and comes the blessing. Because have a little look at verse 21. Um, these are the first words the king of Sodom, whose people and stuff has just been rescued by Abraham, says to him. Look what he says. Give me! <laughs> like, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. The first two words of this ungrateful king are give me! Like, that's just sheer rudeness, isn't it? <laughs> and actually, like, it's more than rudeness. This slimy snake in the grass has a second agenda going on. See, and this is where you see our third danger. The danger of looking for blessing in the wrong place. But because, because Abraham has been promised by God that he would get future blessings of people, place, uh, and more blessing. And here comes the king of Sodom. Dodgy place, don't go there. Uh, 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 and he comes saying, Abraham, I can make you rich quickly. I can give you blessings now. And so Abraham's faced with a choice. Blessings from God or blessings from the king of Sodom. To whom will be eternally grateful and eternally in his debt. And see, that's a, that's a choice that affects each one of us today too. See, we have a choice to, to, where to find our, our source of blessing from stuff on this earth or from God in heaven. So, uh, for example, um, we let friendships or our relationship status dictate our happiness. Or when we're feeling upset and, and low, we turn to social media to give us a little boost and a little lift. Or um, we make choices based on comfort and ease and luxury over what's good for our spiritual good or our kids' spiritual good. We turn food, exercise, family, uh, exam results all into sources of blessing over God. And these things aren't bad things. They're not bad things. But when we make them our ultimate source of blessing, they will only ever let us down. So, now time to pause and reflect and think, uh, where are you looking for blessing in the wrong place? So I think, where are you looking for blessing in the wrong place? And we'll see how Abraham answers that question in a minute. Um, but first... Let's go on to the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And let me introduce you to a friend of mine. This guy here is Alan Sasanga. Um, don't mind the picture. That's an epic wee battle going on there. Um, but, but there he is, Alan Sasanga. This guy's been a friend of mine for 12 years, like a really good friend. Um, and, and Alan, like, there's a running joke in our family that he is the man of mystery. Because like, like, I've known him 12 years, and I still have no idea Alan's birthday or how old he is. I, 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 I know nothing. He won't tell me. I've asked him. He won't tell me. Like, like, the man of mystery. And in fact, it's like, it's like he appeared out of nowhere in my life 12 years ago. And, but, but this man, Alan, he's been nothing but a blessing in my life because it's partly down to that man, oh, what a smile, um, that I'm a Christian today. Alan Sasanga, legend, the man of mystery. And see, um, the king of Salem in our passage, he's a bit like Alan Sasanga because um, he, he comes with no background, with, with no history uh, and no like beginning, no end. He just, he just rocks up out of nowhere and you're like, whoa, where do you come from? And like Alan, he comes bringing blessing because Abraham owes this king nothing. Like, like this king, Abraham's done nothing for him. So he owes Abraham nothing. Uh, but look what he does in verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. 
This, this king brings out bread and wine to Abraham. That's a picture of a royal rich banquet, a, a victory feast, a celebratory meal for Abraham. And that's not all he does. Look at verse 20. Verse 19, he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, my God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. He blesses Abraham. And he's basically saying to Abraham, he's saying, Abraham, your God is awesome. Our God is awesome. He's the creator who made everything. He's the one who's given you your greatest ever victory. Let's praise him because of how awesome and amazing he is. That's a Stephen paraphrase. That's not what he actually says, but that's roughly what he says. You see, he tells Abraham who his God is and what his God's done. That his God is the creator, the most high. And that his God has given him his greatest victory over his, over his mightiest foes. And those words profoundly change Abraham. Because have a little look at verse 22 and the very words Abraham uses to shut down the king of Sodom's sneaky offer. God most high, creator of heaven and earth. The very same words that the king of Melchizedek just said to him. See, this is the value and the power in our words. There is, there is so much power and value in, the, in a timely word of blessing. See, we never quite know the ripple effect of the words we say to each other. Like our words have the power to save a sister from sin. Or, or to, to soothe a brother's bad heart. Our words can bring peace to an anxious soul. So, let's speak life. Like, speak the good stuff to each other. Talk about who God is and what he's done. Because that will bring life to each other. Like, speak life. Because there is power in our words. So, a little recap. We've had five kings crushed by four kings. Uh, We've had Lot being rescued. We have Abraham, search and rescue saves Lot. And then we've had Abraham getting some bread and wine and getting some blessings. Uh, Also, how does that all fit together? And how does it help us avoid those three dangers of power, of the slippery slope, and of looking blessing in the wrong place? Well, Genesis 14, it gives us glimpses of the one true king. Glimpses of Jesus. Um, Lord of the Rings. Anyone read those books, by the way? Hands up, that's yes. What incredible books, do read them. Um, but, but, but these books, Tolkien has written Jesus into, into the different characters. So you see glimpses of Jesus behind each character. Like, like you get the wizard who dies and rises again. Jesus! You, 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 get, you get the king who rocks up with healing hands. Jesus! Like glimpses of Jesus throughout the books. And that's like Genesis 14. Glimpses of Jesus. The one true king. And see, it's as we see the one true king that we stop our quest for power. That we can resist the slippery slope. And that we find true and lasting blessing. Because this one true king is the king who rescues like Abraham. And who blesses like Melchizedek. He rescues like Abraham. See, um, Abraham risked his, his life and his stuff to go and get his nephew back. Jesus gives his life. He gives up his throne in heaven to come and rescue us. See, we like Lot were in the hand of our enemies, a powerful enemy, too strong for us, sin and death. And yet Jesus left heaven to come to this earth to take on our sin and die our death, to release us from the grip of sin and death, to rescue us. Abraham risked his life. Jesus goes one further and he gives his life on the cross for us. That's the love 
that Jesus has for each one of you. And so if you don't know that kind of love, if you, don't, um, if you feel like you've slipped away from God and are so far from him, like look at that cross back there. Look at the cross and look at Jesus and see the value that God places on you. And look at the lengths he goes to to bring you back. Awesome. He's the king who rescues like, Melchizedek, uh, like Abraham. And he's the king who blesses like Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek, um, he's the first priest in the Bible. Yeah, I'm not the first. Um, and he's also one of two great priest kings, the other one being Jesus. <laughs> like, uh, and, Ab- and Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine, a, a royal victory feast. Well, Jesus prepares for everyone who trusts in him a royal banquet of unimaginable glory in heaven. Like the best of the best of the best. For those who trust in him, they have a seat at that banquet where there's no evil, no pain, no death, no suffering. And it's a banquet because that banquet shows that we'll be eternally satisfied and completely blessed. He's the king who blesses like Melchizedek. And see, as we see this one true king, we stop our quest for power because we see one with infinite power who uses it to to serve and to save. And so we admit our weakness before him and we say, we throw ourselves on his mercy and love. As we see this one true king, we can resist the slippery slope because as we see how beautiful and amazing he is on that cross, sin and temptation gets more and more ugly. And as we see this one true king, we see the only source of eternal blessing that will never let us down. Because Jesus is the one true king who rescues like Abraham, who blesses that Melchizedek. What a king. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for King Jesus. Thank you that King Jesus uh, left heaven, left your throne above to come into our mess and our sin to rescue us. Thank you that he, he gave his life for us so that we could be at that royal banquet in heaven. What an amazing king. Amen.